Good morning. Very glad you're here. Please pray with me again. Oh, Father, we thank you for the blessed occasion of the gathering of your people, and we thank you for this high holy day to remember the incarnation of your Son, our Savior. Oh, Father, we thank you for sending your Son to be the Savior of the world. Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you gave the greatest gift of all. We thank you for this in his name, in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. In despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Beloved church and dear friends, what better way to worship this Christmas morning than to remember why we celebrate this high holy day, holiday. Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas. Blessed Christmas. We have great cause for joy this day. I know that some of you, as I am, are lovers of Narnia. Anybody? Well, if you are, then you'll remember that when the Pavinci children first enter Narnia, the condition of the place that they find is a state of always winter and never Christmas. The Narnia they enter is under a curse. Life is cold and bleak there. Cold and hard and dark and oppressive. No Christmas. No Christmas. It's always winter and never Christmas. No Christmas! Beloved, listen. How would your life be without Christmas? I don't mean without chestnuts roasting on an open fire. I don't mean without halls decked with boughs of holly or without jingle bells and fruitcake and eggnog and presents under the tree. But what would your life be without Christmas? Without what Christmas celebrates? There's a beautiful pre-Christmas prophecy of Isaiah that reads, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Isaiah 9, verse 2. In the Johannine prologue, the beloved apostle speaks of John the Baptist, and he says that John, quote, was not that light. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. John 1, 8. John the Baptist was not the light, but Jesus, John writes, 
was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 9 through 14. The British missionary to London, Leslie Newbigin, is one of my favorite theologians, Eric. And his devotional commentary on the fourth gospel, on John, is entitled, The Light Has Come. The Light Has Come. What, what a beautiful title. Truly, the light hath shined in the darkness, and the darkness hath not overcome it. The light has come. Another Englishman, the Anglican bishop and theologian N.T. Wright has said, Christmas is God lighting a candle. And you don't light a candle in a room that's already full of sunlight. You light a candle in a room that's so murky that the candle, when lit, reveals just how bad things really are. Well, listen, friend, the creation of the heavens and the earth is recorded in the book Genesis, that name being a transliteration of the Greek for beginning. In Genesis, we read not only of the beginning of the earth and its heavens, but we read of the beginning of sin. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And she gave unto her husband with her and he did eat. Genesis 3.6 This is the divine record of the fall. And, and listen, you know that that term fall, it's directional. People fall down. They fall from an elevation. A fall is a declension, a descent, a diminishment, a devolution. They fall down. But listen, in addition to falling down, people fall away from things. They fall away. The great apostolic concern of the writer to the Hebrews is that those who have come to Christ would not apostatize. His concern is that they would not fall away. And with fear and trembling, he writes, it's impossible for those who were once enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to remove, renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. Hebrews 6 verses 4 through 6. 
That's apostasy. That's falling away. And that's what the apostolic writer does not want for the people of God. He wants them not to fall away. Now listen, this fall away terminology comes from our Savior Himself, who spoke in His parable of the sower of those rocky, soiled hearers who, quote, when they hear, receive the word with joy. But these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. Luke 8, 13. Listen, friend, a fall away from Jesus is a fall away from the light. And a fall away from the light is a fall into darkness. The most insidious effect of by far the most insidious effect of the fall upon humanity is what theologians call the noetic effects or effect of the fall. The noetic effect of the fall. Noetic is an English word derived from the Greek noetikos, meaning understanding. Understanding. It has to do with the mind. So the noetic effect of the fall refers not to the effect of the fall on the human body, which now dies. The noetic effect of the fall refers to the effect of the fall on the human mind. Listen, that invisible twisting of the consciousness by sin. So that post-fall human thinking is often warped, twisted, and perverse. The great apostle describes the noetic effect of the fall graphically in his cultural analysis in Romans chapter 1 when he writes, listen, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, even His eternal power and Godhead, being understood by the things that are made. So they are without excuse, because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations." And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Romans 1 verses 18 through 23. Did you hear that? The noetic effect of the fall results in humanity's imagination becoming vain. Focused upon vanities, passing things, 
foolish things, unimportant things. And the noetic effect of the fall results in a darkening of the human heart. A heart of darkness preoccupied with foolishness. Surely, friend, listen, a fall away from Jesus is a fall away from the light. And a fall away from the light is a fall into darkness. The darkness reigning in the world before Christmas can be traced even to the land of Judea itself. At the time of the incarnation, there was a darkness of types. Powerful types. And you know that types are always representative of a deeper reality. At the time of the nativity, Rome ruled the known world. And oppression was nigh universal. Labor slavery. Sexual slavery. Abortion, euthanasia, injustice, the slaughter of some human beings for the perverse entertainment of other human beings was not only tolerated, it was celebrated. The gladiatorial games at Imperial Rome rival the Super Bowl or the World Cup of today. This was a world immersed in darkness, idolatry, and cruel superstition. A world swimming in a sea of external darkness, swirling in a cesspool of internal corruption. A world struggling in the shadow of death, suffering in a land of darkness. But... But into this darkened world came, under cover of darkness, a divine invasion of light. It was, shall we say, a covert invasion. There's an indication that Satan was aware that something was afoot. For he moved wicked Herod to slaughter the innocents. But the son of Mary, the son of God, was safe. Safe even in dark Egypt. There were inklings. Inklings. Mother Mary pondered the angelic saying in her heart, wondering, wondering, but What did Mary know? Mary, did you know? What did you know? Did you know that the light has come? Old Simeon was moved by the Holy Ghost to go up to the temple. And this supernatural moving brought the old saint to the temple at precisely the moment that Joseph and Mary came in to dedicate the child to the Lord and offer sacrifice. A divine intersection. 
seeing the infant king. The old man cradled him in his arms and in ecstasy prophesied before the Lord, saying, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Luke 2, 30-32. Don't you wonder? Don't you wonder what Mary knew? Did she know that the light had come, this blessed woman, blessed mother of our Lord? Did she know? Oh, Simeon, hush, you old man. Don't blow his cover. Don't blow his cover. It's God in the flesh. It's the light of the world. It's the Word of God. Quiet down, old man. Don't give it away. But the royal family, the royal family cannot get away from its admirers. You see, it's hard to hide from prophets and prophetesses And before they can slip away, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of Him unto all them that looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. Luke 2, verses 36 through 38. Shh! Quiet down, old woman! Can't you see this is a secret? He is the redemption. He is the Redeemer. This is a clandestine, covert, deep cover, special op. He's infiltrated here for a long-term mission, a time bomb that won't blow for another 33 years. Shh! Don't give it away. The light has come. His timing is impeccable. He came at just the right time, according to prophecy, according to plan, at the divinely appointed time, when the fullness of time was come. God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. Unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Malachi 4, verse 2. Son of Righteousness, Son of God. The Savior has arrived. The sun is on the scene. The light has come. 
Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John 8, 12. He said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John 9, 5. Dear ones, listen. Jesus came to a sin-cursed world. A world of always winter and never Christmas. And then Christmas happened. He appeared. A day star arose in the east. A light shined out of Zion. And I tell you, the light has come. The coming of the light, like the turning of the solstice and the coming of Christmas, portends the arrival of spring. You see, Christmas is really just the first day of the Easter season. When Father Christmas came into the Narnian woods, signaling the end of Narnia's long winter, it was the beginning of the end of the curse. The coming of that Narnian Christmas is the beginning of the Narnian Easter. You know, you Narnians, that time when a willing victim who has committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead and the table would crack and death itself would start working backward? If you're a Narnia lover, then you've come to understand that there's not a one-to-one relationship between our world and Narnia. The Chronicles of Narnia are not true allegories like Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Edmund does not equal Adam or Judas. And the White Witch is not Satan. Narnia is truly a different world. Edmund, listen, Edmund is much more like you or like me. Uh, like me, if coconut pie were the issue instead of Turkish delight. The deep magic works out differently there than it does here. But listen, there truly are some deep connections. And there are times when the lines separating earth and the Narnian cosmos are blurred. The appearance of Father Christmas in the line, the witch in the wardrobe is one of those. But there's another place in the last battle where the line between earth and Narnia seems to merge. Following the last great battle for Narnia, the loyal survivors are forced into a small hilltop stable. And contrary to what they expect to find when they enter the stable, they find that inside the stable is another world. Unlike most of Narnia's royalty, King Tyrion had never traveled between worlds. So he peeks back out, outside of the stable door, 
And what he sees is the fading campfire behind the stable. Narnia on its last night. But when he looks back inside, he can hardly believe his eyes because there's a blue sky overhead and grassy country spreading as far as he can see in every direction. And his friends are there smiling. Quote, it seems then, said Tyrion, smiling himself, that the stable seen from within and the stable seen from without are two different places. Yes, said the Lord Diggory, its inside is bigger than its outside. Yes, said Queen Lucy, in our world too, a stable once had something inside it that was bigger than our whole world. It was the first time she had spoken, and from the thrill in her voice, Tyrion now knew why. She was drinking everything in more deeply than the others. She was too happy to speak. (laughs) I think, I think that Nina figured out the first time through the Chronicles of Narnia with Leah and Jeannie and me that somehow Christmas was in there. I hope you've enjoyed the Chronicles of Narnia. If you haven't, I highly recommend it. But listen, I'm not preaching to you about Narnia this morning. We're here to remember what and why we celebrate this high holy day, this holiday. And beloved, listen, we celebrate the coming of the light of the world. The coming of Jesus, our Savior, our King. And we celebrate because... In our world, too, a stable once had something inside it that was bigger than our whole world. God in a manger. God with us. God breathing chilled Judean air. in flesh. When Solomon dedicated that temple, he asked, will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house which I have builded. 1 Kings 8.27 Well, Solomon was a wise man and friend. How did that stable not explode? How did it not burst? How did it contain the Savior of the world? Oh, beloved, in our world, a stable once had something inside of it bigger than our whole world. The light has come and the darkness cannot overcome it. And because of His coming, because of the incarnation, because of Christmas, we're on our way back to Eden. A new Eden. 
And there, my friend, listen, it is always Christmas and never winter. Some of you will remember that the kings and queens and animals enter Aslan's garden in the last battle. Quote, about an hour, about half an hour later, or it might have been half a hundred years later, for there is not like time here. Lucy stood with her oldest Narnian friend, the fallen Tumnus, looking down over the wall of that garden and seeing Narnia spread out all below. But when you looked down, you found that this hill was much higher than you had thought. It sank down with shining cliffs thousands of feet below. And trees in that lower world looked no bigger than grains of green salt. Then she turned inward again and stood with her back to the wall and looked at the garden. I see, at last, she said thoughtfully. I see now this garden is like the stable. It is far bigger inside than it was outside. Of course, daughter of Eve, said the fawn, the further up and the further in you go, the bigger everything gets. The inside is larger than the outside. Beloved, listen. Christmas is a high holy day for us because Christmas portends Easter. Christmas is the beginning of our salvation. And Easter is when he said, it is finished. Behold, the grace appears. The promise is fulfilled. Mary, the wondrous virgin bears. And Jesus is the child. The Lord, the highest God, calls him his only son and bids him rule the lands abroad and gives him David's throne. Or Jacob shall he reign with a peculiar sway. The nations shall his grace obtain, his kingdom ne'er decay. To bring the glorious news, a heavenly form appears. He tells the shepherds of their joys. He banishes their fears. Go humble swains, said he, to David's city fly. The promised infant born today doth in a manger lie. With looks and hearts serene, go visit Christ your King. And straight a flaming troop was seen. The shepherds heard them sing, Glory to God on high, and heavenly peace on earth. Goodwill to men, to angels' joy at the Redeemer's birth. In worship so divine, let saints employ their tongues. With celestial hosts we join and loud repeat their songs. Glory to God on high and heavenly peace on earth. Goodwill to men, to angels' joy at our Redeemer's birth. Please stand with me for prayer. Let us pray. We thank Thee, our Father, 
for giving us Thy dear Son, for leaving Thy Spirit till the work on earth is done. Christ born for us, Son of God given for us, help us to know Thee, and knowing Thee, help us to worship and serve Thee. The kings, O Lord, brought frankincense, myrrh, and gold. We have nothing of our own to bring, so we bring Thee what Thou hast given, our lives for Thee. Jesus, Savior, Son of Mary, Thou knowest us and lovest us. Thou sharest our lives and hearest our prayers. O Son of Man, Son of God, may all glory be Thine forever. Almighty God, who hath called us out of darkness and into Thy marvelous light, bless us and fill us with Thy peace, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.